0: My name is Aswan, I'm one of the pastors here. Anybody familiar with Kevin Hart? The actor, the comedian, right? Like, do you remember some years back, I feel like this dude was everywhere. Like, he was in every movie, he was in every commercial, he was doing voiceovers for dogs. Like, this dude literally was everywhere, and I thought to myself, Yo, he he is probably one of the hardest working people um, Kind of in celebrities that because of social media we get to see how hard this dude works and um, he has this quote he says everybody wants to be famous but nobody wants to do the work I live by that you grind hard so you can play hard at the end of the day you put all the work in and eventually it'll pay off it could be in a year it could be in thirty years eventually your hard work will pay off now. I think they're in the, the dominant narrative of our culture is that if you want something bad enough and you work hard enough for it, anything is possible. However, if you've lived long enough, you kind of know uh, there are some limitations to hard work, yes? What happens when hard work doesn't work? It's discouraging. What happens when hard work is not enough? You put in all the work, you did everything you needed to do, and still what needed to be accomplished was not. I get the privilege, man, I'm blessed to have six nephews and two boys. I have two girls also, of course, two boys, Uh, and so I try to get them together for like an uncle day, at least once a quarter, no, I'm just playing. Once, once, once a year, we try to get together. Now, recently, we had an Uncle Day. I was unable to get my oldest nephew, Darius, and my, one of my older nephews, um, Devin, uh, to this. But I, I was able to get all the little ones and my two boys together. And Uncle Day is lit. I don't have to care for them afterwards. So whatever they eat, like, whatever they do, I don't care They asked me, Uncle, can we do this? I'm like, yes. We can do whatever you want to do because I'm going to give you back. (laughs) But what we do primarily on Uncle Day is we wrestle. We fight. Like this Uncle Day, we did mission statement, vision statements. It was amazing. But we always fight. And Carter, who's my six-year-old nephew, he's a split image of my little sister. Carter kind of likes to wrestle, but he's the kid. He doesn't really want to wrestle. But everybody's doing it, so he kind of has to partake. So when everybody's wrestling and they're all jumping on me, Carter's the one that's like, (laughs) I got you, uncle. I got you. And this one particular time, Carter runs, he jumps on my leg, and now he's emboldened. He's like, yeah, all the nephews are beating up uncle. He's grabbing my legs while I'm beating on the other nephews and throwing my sons all across the living room. And as Carter is holding onto my leg, I get a thought, or I was using that image has led me to this thought. There are times in my life when I'm like Carter because no matter how hard Carter works, no matter how much effort he puts in, he's never going to be able to throw Uncle on the floor. (laughs) He could work as hard as he wanted, but he would never be able to, to throw me on the floor. And there are times in my life When I'm trying to make changes about me, habits that I'm trying to change, and I feel like Carter. I've been really working hard at it, but they just haven't changed yet. Like, I I really want to have a better nighttime routine. Shout out to those of you who got your nighttime routine. My wife is a pro. She, She goes into the shower. Like, hell, everybody, you know what time it is. Like, she gets her nighttime routine ready and I don't necessarily have one, and I'm really trying to discipline myself to do that. But I so often find myself watching basketball. I want to go to sleep at a certain time, but the Lakers are playing. But then there's, like, that's a cosmetic change, but then there's deeper things. Like, there's deeper things in my life that I want to change. There are times when I find myself being short-tempered, or being judgmental when, when I notice that people, uh, let's say, are, are displaying some level of incompetence. And I, and I realize in my heart that my paradigm, uh, for, for people who have broken my trust, um, I may not tell you or act different on the outside, but on the inside, I really don't mess with you. And when I want to change those deeper things about me, I find that hard work is limited. I find I'm unable to change those things with just effort and hard work. Are there things in your life that you have tried to change that hard work just ain't cutting it? Maybe for you it's something cosmetic or or, or small. Or maybe it is a character thing. Maybe, maybe you keep telling people it's the little white lie. You keep saying, I'm, I'll be there in five minutes. You're not even dressed yet. <laughs> maybe it's you know that there's a limit to how much information you need to share about this person in a situation, and you blow past that limit all the time. And you're like, nah, I, I, I don't really want to be that person But you've been working hard at it, and you still can't change it. Or or maybe it's something, maybe there's an addictive behavior. I knew it would be quiet. (laughs) That you've been working really hard at. And I want to be sensitive here. But you've been working really hard, maybe for the last several weeks or months, or maybe the last several years, and all of your hard work still doesn't change it. What if I told you there was a change in your life that needed to happen, but your hard work couldn't accomplish it? See, I'm all for hard work. Hard work uh, can and does produce some level of change in our life. But the truth is, when it comes to change in our spiritual lives, hard work just doesn't get it done. When you are looking for spiritual growth in your life, The answer isn't to work harder, push more, believe more, or do more to get more. It boils down to one simple thing. You desperately need the Holy Spirit to change. You need God to literally transform your life. You don't become a spiritual robot. I'm not advocating for that. Because we still have to choose, but when your choices are in step with the Holy Spirit, that's when you start to see things produced in your life that you could never take credit for. Many of us want a change that we've been working hard at, and the answer isn't do more. The answer is be available to the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, check it. Here's what begins to happen When the Christian, the the person who says yes to, to, to believing by faith in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, when the Christian is transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit, there is real evidence of change. There are tangible things that begin to show in your life, real tangible characteristics that other people can see, that other people can point to, and actually experience. The Bible says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. From now on, then, do you not know, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation, The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. What does this mean? It's very simple. A Christian is someone whose life has been completely transformed by God, and that transformation is evidenced in the characteristics of that person. A Christian looks different after they decide to follow Jesus. A Christian becomes a different creation after they decide to follow Jesus. Same body, different person. Same body, same smile, same hair texture, same toenails. Different person. Now, here's the truth about this transformation. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. Jordan last week gave us this big Christian word, sanctification. And if you, if you haven't watched uh, some of our series, download the app, check those, check those uh, messages out. But he used this word, sanctification. And it's simply, by definition, it's the, the process that in a Christian of of, of the Holy Spirit of God forming in us Christ-like affections, Christ-like disposition, and Christ-like virtues, that process takes time. And not only does it take time, but it only happens by us being connected to the Holy Spirit. So we're in our series on the Holy Spirit. We are still in our Holy Spirit series uh, we've been saying this all series, if you've been tracking along with us, there's one consistent theme, theme we've been saying, is that the Holy Spirit makes the Christian life possible. The Holy Spirit makes the Christian life possible. Christian theology teaches that we serve a triune God, a God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not some less version. It is equal. And the Holy Spirit doesn't just want to make uh, things about the Christian life nice or accessible. The, The Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, makes the Christian life possible. And so I want to go a little deeper today in our scripture this morning, in Galatians 5, where Paul is listing these, what is called the fruit of the Spirit. But today, I want to do two specific things. One, I want us to examine the evidence of a life transformed by the Holy Spirit. I want to examine that. And two, I want to give us some practical ways for us to walk in the Holy Spirit so that we can actually see and experience the fruit of this changed life. Let's begin. Let's hop into Galatians 5 verse 13. For you are called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. I say then... Walk by the spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit. And the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual morality... Moral impurity, promiscuity, adultery—excuse me, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things, as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions And desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. And this is a weighty, a a, a big portion of scripture, and I wanna take our time for the rest of our time to dive into this. Here's some quick context Paul is writing this letter. Paul, one of the church planners in the New Testament, Uh, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Galatia. And in this church, this is after Jesus has been resurrected, um, there are Jews, cultural Jews, and there are non-Jews called Gentiles. And at this church, there's an issue that's uh, coming up, and it's around circumcision. Now, let's just get nerdy for really quick. Circumcision was really an important uh, custom at the time. The Jews practiced circumcision, the removing of foreskin, to show this connection, this covenant with God, and it started back with Abraham. Now, like all, all my people who were like in church, Abraham had seven sons, seven sons had father. Eight. Yeah, I never knew that song growing up. I never knew it, never heard it. I'm like, who is this Abraham dude? He must be rich. He got all these children. <laughs> I, I never heard that song. But the importance of Abraham being the forefather of the faith, this custom continued throughout the generations. And now in this church, post Jesus' resurrection, it went from being a custom in that celebratory way to now a place of division. Because the Jews were saying, you need to be circumcised uh, to be a real Christian. And Paul is writing this letter saying, yo, let me take care of this issue. You do not need to be circumcised to be a follower of Jesus. Because Jesus is enough. His death, his resurrection is enough. And if you go back to practicing this cult custom... What you're ultimately doing is you're saying that you could, with your hard work and your human ingenuity, you could be saved on your own. And Paul's writing in context, just to give us the context, he's saying, if you believe this, you will, you have fallen from grace, he says. He doesn't want anyone in this church to believe that that is necessary, So what does Paul do then? So Paul, in the passage in chapter five, in what we're reading, uh, Paul is now listing, he's juxtaposing what a life of a transformed Christian should look like, and he gives the fruit of the Spirit. And then he says, uh, the life, he gives this list of what a life of someone living for themselves looks like. But Paul says, in it all, though, the way to do this thing is to be connected to the Holy Spirit. It's to be in step with the Holy Spirit. So let's dive in and see what Paul, through this Galatians 5 passage, will tell us about walking in the Spirit. Here's the first thing. Walking in the Spirit changes who you live for. Walking in the Spirit changes who you live for. Listen to verse 13. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And remember that, that word flesh there is, is human nature, the human appetites, the impulses of our human nature. He says, don't use this freedom as an opportunity for those impulses to shake out. He says, but serve one another through love. Paul is being very clear here. Essentially, he is saying the Christians should not waste the freedom Christ died to buy for us. The Christian, the person who is, says yes to the, the work of what Jesus has done on the cross should not go and just live however they want to live because that mentality would be wasting the freedom that Christ died for. See, I, there is this mentality of, and it was kind of prevalent then and I think it's prevalent now and it's When you say yes to Jesus, it's like, yo, okay, me and God are cool, so I can live however I want to live because he's going to forgive me. He's good. He's gracious, right? Like, I go to church, I hear them talking about how good and kind and loving God is, so let me do me, and then late Saturday night, early, really early Sunday morning, I'm going to say, yo, God, forgive me, I'm going to go to church, and we're going to be good. Paul is saying, you, if, if that's your mentality, what you're doing is wasting the freedom that Christ gave his life for. Christ didn't die so that uh, we could just be forgiven, but Christ died so that the dead heart could now live and actually go and, and have the kingdom of God through the, that little life. Manifest itself on earth as it is in heaven. Paul is saying in verse 13, don't waste the freedom that Christ died for. I mean, but let's keep going. I want to dig a little deeper in this. My, my title here is Connections Pastor. And don't ask what that means. We're still working on definition, okay? <laughs> Fair. Fair. But my heart, I never intended to sign up for this. When Jordan and I were talking about Renaissance, my goal wasn't to be a pastor by any stretch. You could ask my friends who I grew up with. You could ask my family. That wasn't my goal. When I gave my life to Jesus, what happened is it was so rich. It was so real for me. It was so personal. The Holy Spirit showed up in such a real way that I knew what I had to do with my life was connect these people to this God that loves them. And I felt like there was this chasm between that reality. So I wanted to insert my life to bridge that gap. That was my hope. I didn't, all of this I wasn't asking for. And so when I think about Paul saying, don't waste the freedom that Christ died for, I get a little fearful, Renaissance, if I could be honest, because one, my fear would be I would hate for us to leave Sunday service and just go to brunch. See, let me me be real. Two weeks ago, I got one of those calls that you never want to get. I lost a mentee. And he's one of the originals. He's one of my first young people who God confirmed, this is how you need to use your life, as one. I gave these dudes a decade of my life. And you never want to get that call. And as I was preparing for this message, God reminded me, though, he was like, but there's other Terrells. There's there's more Terrells who didn't have you or a community of people. See, Terrell had that. But there's so many other Terrells who don't have an individual who's willing to bridge the gap between what they're experiencing in life and this theological premise that God is good and loves them. And so Paul is saying, don't use your life to serve yourself. That's what it would mean for you to give the flesh the opportunity to run rampant. It means that you will simply use your life to please yourself, to do with you at the center of it. And Paul's saying, if you do that, the Tyrells of the world who don't have someone bridging that gap will die with, without hearing the good news of Jesus. Man, Renaissance, I hope that compels us to be reminded that our goal isn't to use the freedom that Christ died for any old way. Stop being so careless with the cross. Now, here's the thing. We, I couldn't do it in my own strength. I, needed, I desperately needed the Holy Spirit. The days when I didn't have money. The days when I I was tired, I wanted to do something else. I'm in my 20s. I'm trying to get litty. No? Heavy on the litty? You don't like it. But I needed the Holy Spirit desperately to keep reframing my mind, changing my heart, rearranging my desires, reprioritizing what I should be doing. I couldn't just hard work it. You can't just go out and hard work it. You need the Holy Spirit to transform your life because hard work is limited. Walking in the Spirit changes who you live for. You move from living for yourself to living for God. Second, walking in the Spirit changes what you live like. Listen to verses 16 through 23. I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Notice, he doesn't say, let me pause, he doesn't say fix your flesh so you can walk in the Spirit. I'm going to pause. Don't miss that. He doesn't say, yo, come over here, clean up your flesh, clean up your human desires, and then go walk in the Spirit. That's not what Paul says. Paul says... I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. You, in your own hard work, can't just stop the desires of your flesh. They're going to be there. But when you walk in the Holy Spirit, there's somebody greater working on the inside. There's somebody more powerful on the inside. Verse 17 for the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual morality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things, as I have warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. This list this conversation that Paul is now having through his writing to the Galatian church, he's saying, "I don't I, bit, first, I don't want us to be overwhelmed by these lists in this first portion of Scripture. I don't want us to be overwhelmed. What? I, but the thing I want you to draw your heart and attention to is this: whatever you are connected to, you will reflect in your life. Whatever you are connected to and have made yourself available to." you will reflect that in your life. Paul is simply laying out the evidence of a life that has you at the source of it. And when he's saying uh, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, uh, sorcery, hatred, he's saying the byproduct of having you at the center of your life, you will begin to see these things. And then he juxtaposes that with the things that you should see from a transformed life by the Holy Spirit. Joy, love, patience, peace, kindness. See, Jesus says it this way when talking about fruit and what people actually look like. What is the evidence of what they're connected to? Jesus says this in Matthew 7. He says, you'll recognize them by their fruit. Who's them? Them. All of them. (laughs) Uh, Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. I got a question for you, Renaissance. When's the last time you inspected your fruit? What does your fruit taste like? When people experience you, what are they experiencing? Oh, because there will be evidence of what you have availed yourself to. There will be evidence of what you've given yourself to. Walking in the spirit changes what you live like. Paul is also saying, when you see this list, I don't want you to get overwhelmed, he does make this statement in verse 21 that I think is worth spending just a little bit of time on. He says, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And for some of us, we might need to wrestle with that, but here's what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying that they have these temporary moments of of fleshly behavior. What Paul is saying is when he gives this list, he's saying, this is a result of somebody deciding that I refuse to yield to the Holy Spirit. I am going to be resolved to make me the center of my life, and therefore, as these things are happening, I have made them a lifestyle. Paul uses the word practice. These these characteristics of the flesh are not just one thing that he's trying to pull away from and have you examine paul is saying when your lifestyle is full of you these are the things that will happen so he's talking about a lifestyle not a fleshly moment because christians will have fleshly moments tell the truth and shame the devil But Paul is using these words as a diagnostic tool, not mere judgment. He wants you, the reader, to examine your life. Now, also, sometimes when we talk about this passage, we say fruits in plural. This is singular. It's fruit. Of the Spirit. Listen to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. And we'll need a Bible study to go through each one of those. That is not my intention today. But just really quickly, when, the, when Paul uses love, he, he uses the word agape, and that love is this sacrificial love. Jesus demonstrates this in in in, a, in John 13, uh 34 and 35, where, where where Jesus basically demonstrates he takes a lowly position. He does something very countercultural. He, as a rabbi, as a leader, he washes the feet of his disciples. And then he goes to the disciples, he tells them, yo, love each other like that. So this love that Paul is talking about is a sacrificial love. All of these characteristics get embedded in love. But here's the point. The truth of the matter is Paul is saying that the byproduct of someone who has yielded to the Holy Spirit gets manifests through these nine characteristics. Let me say this again. The gift of the Christian is that you get God You don't get an opportunity to be nicer, to be more gentle, to be more kind, to be more joyful. That's not the goal. The goal is that you get God. And so the fact that God decides by his grace to abide, to make his home in your heart, he's saying when you do that, by being connected to me, naturally you're going to be joyful despite the situation. He's saying by being connected to me, you're going to be able to love when you feel like someone is unlovable. He's saying you're going to be able to be patient in in painful situations. When you're going through situations, you're going to be able to be patient. You're going to long suffer because that's a characteristic of God. You're going to be able to do those things because the Holy Spirit lives in you because you have me. Not because these are some individual fruits that you should desire in your life. The goal is to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in you. And naturally, these characteristics flow from your connection to the Holy Spirit. Amen? Last little point here on this. Fruit doesn't grow like singularly. You don't go to a vineyard and find one grape. If you did, it's a bad vineyard, right? Fruit grows in bunches. And so what Paul is saying, wherever you see patience, you'll see self-control. Wherever you see real biblical agape love, you'll see gentleness. You'll see kindness. It's impossible to be walking in the spirit and have, have love at the center of what you do and you not be kind and gentle. Because when that happens, that means you're doing it on your own strength. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to do that in our lives. The more you choose him, the more he will produce. Now, lastly, walking in the Spirit requires we keep in step with the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit requires... That we keep in step with the Spirit. Now, here's what I want to leave us with today in verse 24 and 25. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. What would it look like this week, Renaissance, for us to walk in step with the Holy Spirit? And as I was preparing for this, I was thinking about my boy Ruben, um, the Dominican sensation. My boy Ruben, he was teaching me how to bachata, right? And as he was teaching me, I was thinking about this. um, What I love about Latin culture, one in particular, that like the men can teach other men how to dance. So he was holding me by my hips. I am not there yet. I'm not there. I know it's three, but uh I, I, I gotta I gotta work on it. I gotta work on it. I, I got a long way to go. It takes time, duh. The Holy Spirit doesn't transform you overnight. Duh. But what I love is that I got this image that the Holy Spirit wants to teach us how to bachata. The Holy Spirit wants to hold you by the hips. And as you're walking, the Holy Spirit is going to say, you know what, as you're in step with me, hey, you're walking too fast, slow down. The Holy Spirit is going to say, yo, you know what, nah, speed up, two, two, two to the left. The Holy Spirit is going to say, as you're walking in me, As you're connected to me, when the movements start looking really rhythmic and we're in sync together, somebody's going to see you. They're going to say, oh, that's a different person. That's a different person. They look really different. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. And in order for us to walk in the Holy Spirit, we need to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And here's two things I want to leave you with. One, is you have to immerse yourself in the things of God. Imagine if in my headset I'm trying to learn how to bachata, but I'm listening to the Little Uzi. The, the rhythm is gonna be off. The steps are gonna be off. Oftentimes, as believers, some you know what we do sometimes? We often take pauses. We say, I'm gonna put my Christianity over here for a second, and then I'm gonna keep doing me. You have to be immersed. In the things of God that's why you have to rest on Sabbath that's why you have to uh, um, read scripture that's why you have to be in community with one another because when you do those things being immersed in the things of God then you could walk in step with the Holy Spirit and then lastly I want us to obey this week I want you to obey what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life and here's the thing I want to bring it all together hard work has its place. Your job is to work hard this week at being in step with the Holy Spirit. Your hard work won't produce these characteristics. Only the Holy Spirit can. But you can work hard at denying yourself. You can work hard at reading scripture. You can work hard at being immersed and being in community and being vulnerable with the things that are happening in your life. Because obedience will help you lead to this fruit. And not just obeying your feelings, obeying what God says in His Word. Don't live life for yourself, live your life walking in step with the Holy Spirit. The more you give Him, the more He will produce. The best of ability is availability. Make yourself available for the Holy Spirit to work this week. Let me pray. Daddy, thank you. We do belong to you. Speak to us. Help us walk in the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.